Well, John is writing to the church in the Mediterranean first and second century. Uh, Gnosticism, this heresy, uh, is spreading like gangrene in the church. And he's, John's countering it. He never specifically mentions Gnosticism in these five chapters. But he says, no, this is who God is. And the Christian faith looks like correct doctrine. It looks like obedient living, and it looks like a passionate devotion. And last week we found out that he represents some contrast in the first chapter. It says, God is light. Now, if you have God, you'll walk in the light. That means you don't willfully hide stuff. You don't love our sinful nature. Instead, we want to live for God. And then he comforts us by saying, look, if you live in the light, you'll know that you have sinned. He says that not to crush us, but so we know we can have forgiveness through Jesus. He goes on to say Jesus is our advocate. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. We continue now. Uh, the text, I've actually jumped a tiny little bit. We've got five weeks to get through the whole letter. I'm picking up on John 1 John 2, and it will be verses 18 through to 29. Before I do that, I'm skipping over verses 12 uh, through to 17. In essence, those, chap- those verses, this letter is a circular argument, which means he keeps coming back to certain points and just emphasizes them. These points are going to be emphasized throughout the rest of this letter. So we're not totally missing these key points. But he's saying, look, you have been forgiven in this. And then he moves on to say, like, don't love the world. Now, clearly, John also has says in his gospel, like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The world, does, in this instance, does not mean people, because we know that God loves them and we are called to love the world. But he's saying, don't be in love with the structures of the world. That kind of you only live once mentality. Saying, don't be in love with that. Like, have this eternal perspective. Now, I'm going to read the text. Uh, Before I do that, it talks about the Antichrist and the last days. A quick bit of clarity before I go into that. The last days, as in plural, are already here. They started when Jesus went up to heaven. They represent the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. The last day. Now, day can be 24 hours. It could be a period of time. The last day, as shown in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11, is the period of salvation and wrath. That is not yet here. You will know when it is here. And it continues then in Revelation, John, again, writing Revelation uh, chapter 13, Revelation 19, verses 20, and chapter 20, verses 10. He talks about the Antichrist. Now, when the last day is here, that period of time, time of judgment and wrath, there will be a clear, evil, spiritual person who is the Antichrist. And you will know when he is here. Each generation has the one that they say is their antichrist. Sometimes it's based on racism. Other times it's based on just here's someone who's really, really evil. But we're going to look at antichrists in the church, in the early church. I wanted to clarify that for you. An antichrist is someone who commits spiritual fraud and cons other people to do the same. So Bernie Madoff, bless his cotton socks, uh, 
American former market maker, investment advisor, financier, and a fraudster and a convicted felon. He did the world's ever biggest Ponzi scheme. And he did the biggest fraud in U.S. history. He ripped his 4,800 clients off to the value of $64.8 billion. And on June the 29th, 2009, he was sentenced to 150 years in prison, which is the maximum he was given. Now, if you think of someone that might steal something from a house, that's bad in and of itself. Then start thinking $64.9 billion. And we look at that and say, this person was just in love with themselves. They're evil. And John now is going to talk about people that commit spiritual fraud. So Bernie Madoff stole people's treasures. He stole people's inheritance. False teachers, we're going to see in Scripture, steal people's treasures, their relationship with God, their forgiveness, and steals their eternal inheritance as well. Whereas we would say people like Bernie Madoff, they're, they're narcissists, they're evil. John doesn't pull any punches. He says people that commit spiritual fraud, people that lead people away, they're antichrists. We've had some in the church, and there are lots of them. So as I read the text now, it's John, uh, 1 John 2, 18 to 29. Please listen out for the following. So the message is, watch out for false teachers. So I'm reading the text, listen out for who are they? Like, where are they? And then how does the reader stay safe? So who are they? Where are they? How does the reader stay safe? And once I've read it, I will then answer those questions. So it says, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. If they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you'll also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So in the first part of the letter, we have this contrast, light and darkness. Then it moves on to, hey, if you're in the light, you know that you kind of sinned. And then the opposite is you deny that we've sinned. And here it's talking about Christ and Antichrist, truth and lies. So who are the Antichrists? Verse 22 to 23 uh, points out really clearly, it says, uh, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. 
such a person as the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. But not just there. There's a bit more. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Another way of saying that is, okay, you can deny God and you can deny Jesus Christ. That means you're an Antichrist. However, if you're denying the divinity of Jesus, you are also an Antichrist, particularly those that lead people astray. So verse 26 says this as well. It says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Now, people that were involved in Bernie Madoff's massive Ponzi scheme, they weren't all fraudsters. Not even his sons were, but he was. As people teach against Christ, teach other things like they were doing with Gnosticism, saying that God is, uh, God is a divine spark that's in each of you. Christ is a semi-demigod, and he made the world, and the world is bad, and there's no such thing as sin. It's just lack of knowledge. And so if you kind of subscribe to all these things that we're teaching you, we will enlighten your mind, and you'll be spiritually safe. They were fraudulently leading the early church away. So in that day, it was Gnosticism. I would say the leaders of the Mormon church and Jehovah's Witnesses, as sincere and loving as they are, Joseph Russell and Charles, uh, sorry, Joseph Smith and Charles Russell have led people away from the reality of who Jesus Christ is. They say he is not God. Like he's given away us to be forgiven, but then they add these extra things in. They have led many sincere people away. Forgive me if you think I'm being offensive or exclusive. I'm just trying to teach what Scripture says. Where are they? Verse 19 says, they went out from us. So they were in the early church. They were in the midst of the flock. Another way of saying that is, there's a flock of sheep. Jesus is the big shepherd, but there are some wolves in the flock. Now, this isn't people that just decide to give up on Christianity. This is people that change the message and want people to come with them. So some of them were in the church. That probably means some are still in the church at large even now. Here's some indicators for what they're like. They point themselves a lot not Christ. They will always add something in addition to the gospel. They will want your money. Salvation is not a one and done thing. It's a stay close to me kind of thing. So how uh, do the readers stay safe? Two things. One is correct doctrine, uh, which means in truth. He uses the word truth a lot in these verses. Verse 24 says, as for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. So when you heard the gospel, like it was finished on the cross, you were completely forgiven. Christ has said that he is God and he has power to forgive sins. Don't move away from that. Hold to the simplicity of the gospel. Who Jesus is and that his sacrifice for sins is permanent. The second way we stay safe, first one is in truth correct doctrine. Second one is in spirit. God as Holy Spirit. When you put your faith and trust in Christ in a saving way, God himself comes to live within us as the Holy Spirit. And here it uses a phrase, uh, anointing. Verses 20. 
uh, staying in the Spirit. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know the truth, as in, you know you've sinned, and you know who Jesus is. Now, the role of the Holy Spirit, he convicts us that we've sinned. The aim of that is that we're transformed. It's not that we're left in our sin. It's that we're transformed from the inside out. Holy Spirit, the other thing he does is he glorifies Christ. Before I became a Christian, I tried to read the Bible. It was really boring and didn't make any sense. So I quit pretty early on in Genesis. When you have the Holy Spirit living within you, it comes alive and you can see Christ in the Scriptures. So just keep reading the Scriptures. And then the Holy Spirit, he gives us good works to do. He's given us gifts. We're not saved by works, but he's given us gifts that we can do them around, whether that's serving Feed My Starving Children on a non-leap year, or whether it's within the local church. So it looks like serving with one another too. Finally, uh, avoid false teachers by living in truth, like sticking to the gospel, living in spirit, uh, being aware that we sin, confessing our sins, uh, wanting to change from the inside out. And then he also says, look, remain in Christ, like Christ is in you. Verse 28. I'll read that for you now. It says, and now, dear children, continue in him. This isn't a new point. He said it also in verse 27. Uh, As the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and it continues uh, just as it's taught you, at the end of verse 27, remain in him. Verse 24, as you see, what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. So it's like stay in fellowship with Jesus, in spirit and in truth. That's how you watch out for false believers. You keep it simple. Keep worshiping together. Don't depart from the gospel. Have obedient living. Listen to what God's saying and be part of that invitation to change. Second chunk of text. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Another way of saying live in spirit and in truth is live as God's children. Like live, live as you actually are deep, deep down. The very core of our identity whether we're a Christian or not, is that we are loved by God. Deeply loved by Him. He made each person in their mother's womb before the parents even saw them. The reality as well is when you're in Christ and you've asked for the forgiveness of your sins, the riches, the treasure that Christ gives us is we have that personal relationship with God Himself. And we become His children. We can call him Abba, Father, just like Jesus did. So John is now saying, look, watch out for false teachers. God is light. And now live as God's children. It seems a bit repetitive. And it will the next couple of weeks. He just really wants to over-communicate. Just keep it simple, keep it simple, keep it simple. They say in church it's really easy to under-communicate, miscommunicate, but very difficult to over-communicate. That is exactly true of the gospel and of who Jesus Christ is. So as I read this text, it says, Live as God's children, verses 1 to 10. Uh, It said what a child of God is. It says it positively. And then it actually says what a child of the devil is. 
you can read that as the exact opposite of what a child of God is. So if it says, child of the devil walks in darkness and denies that they're a sinner, that means that a child of God walks in light and knows that they're a sinner. Does that make sense? As I read this text, listen out for the characteristics of a child of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, he shall, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they've been born of God. This is how we know we are children of God. Sorry, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. The question as we're going through this is like, who do you belong to? John's readers largely would have belonged to Christ, but they may have been persuaded otherwise. Here is the characteristics of if you belong in Christ. You're aware just of how much God loves you. You know that he came down from the heavenly heights to live among us as Christ. You're also aware that you don't quite fit in with the world. You may look similar, but we just have a different value system. So like we're in the world, but we're not of the world. See, it says this in verse 1. To see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Continues, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Second characteristic of children of God is they have an eager expectation of Christ's second coming. We know that we will see him like he is, and we will be transformed into exactly who he made us to be. Verse 2, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and... What we will be has not yet been made known. But when we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Children of God will see also pursue holiness. doesn't mean we want to be holier than other people. It doesn't mean we want to judge other people. It doesn't mean we elevate ourselves at other people's expense. What it means is we want to become more like God, who God has made us to be. It says this, all who have this hope, in him, purify themselves, just as he is pure. Other characteristics, uh, they no longer live under the power of sin. Now, the beauty of the gospel is that we deserve death, 
And Christ fully took the death we deserved so we could have this eternal riches with God. So on the cross, the penalty of sin was broken. The power of sin in our lives is also broken. God's living within us. We're starting to walk in the light. So we're tripping up a whole lot less of what is in front of us in life. It doesn't mean we're not sinning. It means the direction of our life. It's not perfection, but it's direction. We want to live more like Christ. It says here, uh, so we no longer live under the power of sin. This is what it means in verse 6 when it says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seeds remain in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. Think of the apostle Paul as an example. So sinning is not some kind of character defects that God eventually, over time, gets out of us. It might be something that's in direct, big disobedience. It might be committing adultery and not giving a rip who it impacts. It might be uh, having a terrible addiction that's had terrible impact on everyone around us. And we're thinking, that's just me. Uh, here, it, it, what it means here is that people no longer live under the power of sin. So the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, very religious, a Pharisee of Pharisees, thought he was better than others, and he was killing Christians. He still made mistakes after he met Christ on the road to Damascus and became Saul. But he was no longer killing Christians. Does that make sense? So it's not a perfect standard. Is we'll never sin again. What it means is no, you no longer you no longer desire to sin. There is this horrible kind of dynamic inside us. Before I became a Christian, I would feel bad if I got caught doing stuff, but I never felt bad about doing some stuff. Now as a Christian, it's really annoying that the stuff I want to do, I can't help uh, but not do. And the stuff I don't want to do, I go after. Does that make sense? So when God's living within us, the desire not to sin, the desire to want Jesus more than our old lives is there. Another way of putting this is obedient living. It says this verses 5, 6, 10a. Uh, in essence, it says, if you love God, you'll obey what Jesus has taught. And guess what? Jesus says, love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. He also says, love yourself just like you love other people. He then kind of spoils it by saying, and love your enemies. It really sets the standard high. It's not something we can do by ourselves. We need God living within us to be able to do that. And he also says, make disciples of all nations. Sometimes that's praying for Venezuela. Sometimes it's going to places. Sometimes it's giving to places. But what it means is faith and your beliefs are no longer a private thing. Now, you don't want to force things on people that they do not want. However, it does mean that you've been called to share the good news of Jesus with others. Finally, you know that you're a child of God or not a child of the devil if love marks your life. We'll go over this a lot the next couple of chapters. But he adds it in here, uh, the second half of verse 10. So anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. If we are children of God, 
we will not use people in the church. If we are children of God, we'll not manipulate people in the church. If we are children of God, we'll know that we're the biggest sinner we know. And people won't be disappointing us because they miss our expectations of them. Be much more concerned about listening to God and obeying him. So far, the text has been uh, live like children of God by living in spirit and in truth. The tough part of that is forgiveness. So if we're children of God and we live in spirit and in truth, it means we really understand the gospel and it works <coughs> It works its way out in our lives. Scooby-Doo impression, the first one I've ever managed. Um, another way of saying that is live like we're forgiven. Now, at times I understand that I'm forgiven. It's really hard sometimes to like, believe that we've been forgiven. And it's really, really hard at times to move from just the head to the heart, but then into our lives. So we actually live like we're forgiven. So often, the struggle for us is, could God really forgive that? That thing that you did that everyone knows, <laughs> everyone knows, I am quite the gossip in counseling sessions. No, uh, the thing that you did that no one knows about, but that God knows about. God loved us before we even did that. Like God doesn't love us because we put our faith in Christ. And he goes, and now you're my child. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, God loved us. So whether your worst sin is behind you or it's actually ahead of you, it doesn't stop God's love for you doesn't stop the fact that you are forgiven, fully forgiven. So it's not God's struggle. Like, oh, can I forgive Andy for doing that? It's my struggle. Think, is the gospel really real? Like, the things of God blow your mind and are hard to understand sometimes. Like, did what Christ did on the cross, is that really means it's finished? Did he really raise from the dead? Is he really coming back again? I mean, you believe those things, you've become quite eccentric. And you start looking like you're not of the world. But then there's the guilt we feel as well sometimes if we look down the timeline of our lives. Like the gospel's true, but could it be true for that? Could I really be forgiven? The Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10. It says, God sprinkles our consciences clear with the blood of Christ. She said, okay, so we need to live as God's children in spirit as truth. A good way of doing that is living like we're forgiven. But why do I feel guilty? Why do I struggle with the fact that can God really forgive me? Typically, two reasons. Uh, it might be self-induced. Our guilt, we might be uh, very, very self-focused. And the more we focus on ourselves, we see our identity based on our performance and not based on God's character and his love. And the other way we might feel guilty is just there's an accuser. The devil, did, can God really forgive you of that? I mean, was it when Jesus said it's finished, did he really mean that? So we have guilt to stops us from living like we're forgiven. We have guilt that stops us from living like we are children of God. But friends, that guilt is either self-induced or from Satan. It is not from God. 
There is no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. There is no guilt. Yes, there's conviction. Conviction is a temporary feeling, an invitation from God or from others that says you're better than this. Keep walking in the light. You don't need to do that anymore. But the more we focus on ourselves, the more we focus on our sense of lack of forgiveness, the more we struggle with the same issue over and over again. And it causes despair. And it's actually the issue of identity. Are we really God's child? Because if we are, contrary to what I believe, contrary to what other people believe, I'm I'm not guilty. And when we live like we're not guilty, it looks like a couple of things. It looks like people will notice there's something different about you compared to everyone else. You will literally want to spend more time with God. Now, I'm not talking about the dark night of the soul. Explain what that is. The Christian journey is a lifetime. Certain stages on the Christian journey, God allows us to go through a dark night of the soul. It's like a spiritual winter time. I'm not talking about that. We, although we don't want to spend time with God, we need to. When I'm talking the general uh, value of our life is we really want to spend time with God. We really want to follow Jesus. It's not to earn salvation. It's because we've got salvation. We want to share that good news with others. We want to share Jesus with others. And it looks like helping others along the way too. Some of the biggest benefits I've had in understanding that I'm forgiven is having people tell me that I am. I can understand it, but don't always believe it. Sometimes it's self-induced, sometimes it's a spiritual attack on my identity. I'm going to ask the band to come on back up. My practical application this week is going to be uh, live like we're forgiven. So you're following Christ in spirit and truth. You're living like God's children. I'm going to ask a couple of questions for self-reflection, whether it's now in your life group or at home. What is causing each one of us, what's causing you to struggle with forgiveness, complete and utter forgiveness in Christ? Is it self-induced? Or is it the adversary? Is it a spiritual attack? And when you have those answers, the recommendation is we, we keep rehearsing the gospel to ourselves. We preach the gospel to ourselves. The other solution is we pray for God to see us. Sorry, we pray for ourselves to see us as God sees us. What happens? God doesn't just look at me as someone who is forgiven. And I have a hard time believing that. God doesn't just look at me as someone with whom his Holy Spirit's residing, so I have gifts to serve the church. God looks at me as his beloved child. That's mind-blowing. I don't think I deserve it. If you knew me, you didn't think I deserve it either. But God, in his goodness, that's the identity I have in Christ. So I ask you, in the area of your life you're struggling with forgiveness with, is it self-induced? Is it the adversary? And pray to see yourself as God sees you. And pray to see the world as God sees the world. A world that he deeply loves, that he gave Jesus for. A world that he wants to call back to him. So we have not just this inheritance and treasures now in a relationship with God. We have eternal life to come as well.
I'm going to close us in prayer, and then I'll ask us to stand for the response time. Will you bow your heads? Father God, you are living in us. You gave your son Jesus to us. Help us to understand just how much you love us. Help us to understand our identity in you. And Lord, those who have been led astray, may you call them back home. Lord, you have that treasure for them. You have that eternal inheritance for them. And Father, as we live our lives, help us not just to encounter you in worship, but help us to want to spend more time with you. Help us to want to journey alongside other people. Help us desire to be changed from the inside out. And Lord, if there's areas of our life that we struggle with, please help us. Please help us not to feel condemned, but please help us to feel convicted to spend more time with you and to have people pray for us. In your son's name I pray. Amen.